Oh, praise the Lord, everybody. Praise the Lord, everybody. I am thankful to be in the house of the Lord tonight and to feel his presence. It's hard to believe it's December, but here we are. And we're moving quickly towards Christmas and the Christmas season and all of the busyness of the time of year. But we set aside time for the Lord, don't we? Aren't you glad that we're able to set aside time for the Lord? I don't ever want to be too busy for the things of God. I don't ever want to be too busy for the house of God, certainly. And it's so good to see you here. If you have your Bible, turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13 and verse number 32. And uh, we'll read this together. And this is just one verse. I'm kind of pulling this one text. Um, but it comes in, in the context of Moses had just commissioned... 12 spies, one from each of the tribes, and he had given them the job of going into Canaan, the promised land that they had not yet partaken of, and he simply asked these, these 12 men to come back with a report of the land, tell us what it's like there, and so they did, they, they went into the land and they brought back a report. And this, this is the report of 10 of the 12 spies. Of course, if you're familiar with this story, you know there were two very well-known spies who did not agree with this report. They were Joshua, who of course goes on to be the leader of God's people. And then there was Caleb, who really was the spokesman in this particular story. Caleb is the one who speaks faith. And, uh, but 10 out of the 12 came back with this report, Numbers 13 and 32, and they brought up an evil report. Everyone said an evil report. They brought up an evil report of the land which they had searched unto the children of Israel saying. And so if we could go to the next slide, I'll give you my title. I'd like to just talk to you tonight for a few minutes about lies from within the camp. Lies from within the camp. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's lift up our hands and ask the Lord to be with us tonight, can we? Lord, we love you. We thank you for every promise that you've given us. We thank you, Lord, for every opportunity you put in our pathway. I pray that we would have the faith to move forward into all that you have called us to be and all that you've called us to do. I pray that our own weakness and insecurity would never cause us to doubt your plan for our lives. We love you and we praise you, Lord. And everyone said in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. Lies from within the camp. Now. What strikes me about this particular story is this is God's people. Uh, this is his chosen people, and it's a type of the church today. In fact, I think that uh, as individuals, every single person in this room has to wrestle with one or more 
of these lies. Or perhaps we could even add more than this, but I just want to pull the lies from this story. And really, they're lies that we tell ourselves. They're lies that we tell ourselves. I don't believe that the, the ten spies with an evil report, I don't believe that they were trying to be evil. I don't think that they were intentionally lying. I think that they believed the lie that they had already been telling themselves inwardly. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? There are lies that we believe about ourselves. There are things that become ingrained in our thought processes, and we begin to look at ourselves in a way that is not true, that's not correct. It's certainly not the way that God views us. It's not the way that God wants us to think of ourselves. And so I believe that the 10 spies believed their own lies. They believed their own evil report, their negative report, their words of doubt, their words of faithlessness, their words of unbelief. These were things that they believed about themselves and perhaps had believed about themselves for a long time before they ever went into Canaan land to spy it out. And because they already believed these negative things about themselves, when they went into the promised land and they saw, and if you read it, you can read the entire chapter 13 and even into chapter 14, you see it's fascinating that the spies never once looked at the promised land and said, this is not a desirable place. They saw that it was a good place. They saw that it was a land of plenty. It was a land of abundance. There was, uh, there was milk and honey, meaning in Scripture, when you hear the term flowing with milk and honey, that, that simply means it was a land of, of much, of abundance. It was, it's just uh, overwhelming. Everywhere you turn, there's abundance. It was a good land. And they, they recognized this. They even brought back pomegranates and fruits and and grapes, and it was, it was uh, beautiful to see. And they were, they were impressed with Canaan land. But in spite of the fact that they recognized this, this land is what God said it was going to be in terms of its beauty and abundance, they believed that they were not able to take the promise that God had given them. They believed things about themselves. Now, here's the problem with having an incorrect view of yourself. Point yourself and say an incorrect view of myself. Myself. Is that when you begin to view yourself in a way that God does not view you, in a way that God does not want you to think of yourself, you will begin to pass that view on to other people. So the problem that these 10 spies had is not only did they have insecurities, uh, insecurities about themselves, they also believed these same negative things about their brothers and sisters in the Lord. And so their unbelief became contagious, and they passed that unbelief on to everyone else in the household of faith. And this is still a problem that we wrestle with in the New Testament church. 
This is why it's so important that you view yourself the way God wants you to view yourself. Because when you begin to look through the lens of unbelief, you will inspire others to also have unbelief in their heart. And this will cause churches and communities and families to never achieve what God has called them to achieve. They'll never be what God wants them to be. They'll never have the blessings that God wants them to have. They'll never have joy. They'll never have peace. In fact, it's even worse than that because the scripture says in the New Testament, without faith, it is impossible. Everyone said impossible. It is absolutely not possible to please God without faith. And so when you begin to grow in a spirit or a mindset of unbelief, you become displeasing to God. And when you pass that characteristic on to people around you, what you'll eventually have is an entire church that is not able to please God. But I believe that we are a church that desires to be pleasing to God. We desire to be a people of faith, a people that please the Lord with our words, with our lifestyle, and with our actions. And so, in order to do that, we have to look in our own hearts and look in our own lives and recognize untruths that grow in our spirits. And oftentimes, they are placed there subtly by the enemy. The enemy would like you to look at yourself through the lens of weakness, to look at yourself through the lens of all of your flaws and all of the things that you're not capable of, all of the things that you're not good at, all of the things that make you weak, all of the things that make you feel inadequate, insecure, all of the things that cause you to feel like you're not good enough and you don't measure up. And, and it, sometimes we, we look at this and we, we think this is humility. I, I often see people who will think of themselves as humble when in reality what they are is extremely insecure. Did you know that insecurity is not the same thing as humility? Insecurity can be very dangerous because insecurity can, at its worst, become just another word for lack of faith. Insecurity can become just another word for lack of faith. And we make this contagious. God hasn't called us to be insecure. We didn't read the scripture and we're not going to in the remaining slides, so I'll give it to you now. At the end of chapter 13, the 10 spies who were speaking faithlessness, they said, and I've preached this many times, that we we're in our own sight as grasshoppers. We, we saw the, the giants and we, we, we looked around the land. They even said at one point, the land itself devours people. This was, this was an exaggeration. In fact, this was really at this point just a bold-faced lie. And the problem, and this is fascinating to me, and I see this in churches and I see this in individual Christians, is that the enemy never called them grasshoppers. The enemy never looked at them and said, y'all are weak and insignificant. You, you're small. Now, 
in, the, in a different circumstance, many, many uh, hundreds of years later, we have Goliath. And what did Goliath do? Goliath intimidated God's people with his words. But in this situation, the enemy never had to open his mouth one time to tell anyone anything about themselves. They simply stepped in, looked around, and felt insecure. This was a problem in their spirits long before they ever spied out the promised land. And many of you battle this today. You, you step into an environment where you feel uncomfortable. And, and the minute you get there, you feel as though you are not able to do what God has called you to do. It's a feeling of inadequacy. And, and you know, you can tell yourself all day long, I, I'm, just, I'm just walking in humility. But in reality, you're walking in faithlessness. And it will keep you from achieving what God's called you to be. How many want to achieve what God's called us to do and be what God's called us to be? Amen. Next slide. Now, here... Here is the, the first, and what I've done is I've, I've taken the different lies uh, that these spies told, and I've put them in my own language, my own vernacular. I've pulled them straight from the scripture, and uh, this, this is the first of them. Here's the first lie that they believed. Things will never get better. Things will never get better, and the promise is not achievable because... And then they list several reasons, and we'll look at those reasons in a moment. This is a spirit of negativity. It says, it looks at a situation, it says, uh, I wish that I could be there. I'd like to be in the promised land. I'd, I'd like to do what God called me to do. Uh, I recognize that the wilderness is not ideal. I recognize that I shouldn't be staying here, but... I just don't feel like I'll ever be able to go over there. I see this with people who are struggling to be sanctified and to walk in holiness or newness of life. They, they look at their lifestyle now and they look at where they need to be in God and they say, I would like to live a holy life, but I just don't think that I could ever do what God is asking me to do. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I, 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 would, I would like to change my lifestyle. I would like to do what's pleasing to the Lord. I would like to be what God's called me to be. But I just, I look at all of the difficulties involved in that. And I just don't think that I can ever get from here to over there. Because it, there's just too many things that I'm not able to do. This is a very dangerous mindset. I see this also in people who who would like to grow in the Lord. How many would like to grow in the Lord? You'd like to have an anointing, perhaps a greater anointing. Perhaps, perhaps you feel and know that God has called you to different life circumstances, but you feel trapped in a wilderness in your life, whatever that wilderness looks like for you. And you know that I, I shouldn't stay here. God doesn't want me to stay here. But when you look at all of the difficulties between where you are and where you would like to be and where God would like you to be, you look inside and you say, I just don't think that I'll ever be able to do any better than I'm doing right now. And the promise, how many have a promise from God tonight? How many have a personal promise from God? I don't just mean a, a Bible verse. Bible, we have beautiful promises from the Lord, and they apply to every single person in this room. 
But how many have a promise that God gave you directly? God spoke it into your heart. How many have a promise like that? Hold on to that promise. But the enemy will whisper in your ear and tell you that that will never happen and tell you that you're not capable of ever going from point A to point B in God. And it's nothing more than a lie that you have believed somewhere in your spirit. At some point, you have to overcome this internal voice that lies to you and tells you that I will never see better days. I will never get out of this wilderness. I'll never go where God wants me to be. I'll never be what God wants me to be. I've got good news for somebody tonight. You can be what God's called you to be. You can do what God's called you to do. You can achieve more in God. You are more than an overcomer in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at your neighbor and say, you're more than an overcomer. You're more than an overcomer. I've said this before, but I love it so much I'm going to say it again. Do you know what it means to be more than an overcomer? How can you be more? You're already an overcomer. How can you be more than an overcomer? I'll tell you what uh, more than an overcomer looks like. It looks like David slinging his slingshot and casting that stone, hitting Goliath right between the eyes, and Goliath falls down dead instantly. And he's an overcomer at that point, amen? And then David says, but I want to be more than an overcomer. So he runs over to Goliath and takes his sword out of his sheath, Goliath's own sword. And he cuts Goliath's head off after he's already dead with the giant sword. That's what it looks like to be more than an overcomer. I've got news for hell tonight. Apostolic Tabernacle is going to do more than just knock giants down. We're going to use their own weapons to humiliate them. And we're going to come against hell with its own weapons. That's what it means to be more than an overcomer. I want to be more than an overcomer in Christ Jesus. I want to go further than I ever thought I could go. I want to do more than I ever thought I could do. And I know you do as well. But first, we have to overcome these lies. Now, let me take you to the next slide. This one comes from Numbers chapter 13, verse number 28. Here's the, the first reason they gave. Okay, so here's, here's how it works for us today, okay? God wants me to be over there. I'm over here. But I just don't think things will ever get better. I don't like it in this wilderness, but I just don't think it's going to get better. And here's why. The enemy is bigger and stronger than us. This is the lie that many apostolics tell themselves today. The enemy is bigger and stronger than us. We don't mean to. I often call it an inferiority complex, an inferiority complex. We look at, at mega churches that don't preach any kind of truth at all, and they've got more programs than we have, and they, uh, they have bigger parking lots and uh, nicer buildings. We look at, we look at uh, all of the problems in the world that seem insurmountable. We look at all of the difficulties in our lives, and it just feels like the problem is just too big. The giants are just too big. The, the power structures, I, I can't possibly overcome. That person will never change. That situation will never get better. You can identify this in your own spirit. Perhaps you go into environments. I think young people struggle with this more than elders. But young people especially struggle with being different and separate 
in their holiness. And so they go into environments where they stick out and, and they feel as though everyone is bigger or better than them in some way. And in reality, this is a lie straight from hell. This is not how God wants us to view ourselves. In fact, I keep jumping forward in time to David because David really gives us the template for how to view enemies that are bigger and stronger than we are. The way that you view that is to say, if God is for me, who can be against me? The way to view it is to understand that the enemy is bigger and the enemy is stronger than me. But it's not about my strength or how strong I am. What it really comes down to is God on my side. And if God is on my side, me plus God is always a majority. Me plus God is always stronger than any enemy that could ever come against me. No weapon formed against us shall prosper. There is nothing that can stop a child of God who has God fighting on his or her behalf. And so you should never be looking at the strength of your enemy. What you should be asking yourself is God with me. And if the answer is yes, then you should be bold as a lion. You should step out by faith and say, God has given me this land. God has given me this promise. I don't care what the doctor said. I don't care what the diagnosis is. I don't care what my enemies are laughing at. God is with me. And we are well able to take the land because God has given us the word. Now, if God's not with you, then you have a whole new problem. And this is where many Christians are. Many Christians are trying to fight their own battles. They're trying to evaluate the strength of the enemy. I hear this about church growth all the time. You know, I, I, I love to, to read about leadership and things like that. But so often, people try to take secular leadership principles and apply them to the church and to pastoring and to being a child of God. And so often, uh, leadership principles fail when it comes to spiritual things. What you really need is the supernatural power of God moving in the midst of a people. And that produces faith. And so when, when we step in, sometimes we don't know the answer in our humanity. Sometimes there is no good answer. And so we cry out to God and say, Lord, you gave us this promise. I'm looking at all of the things that seem impossible. And God steps in and parts the Red Sea and says, I know you can't do it. I know there's not a good solution because I am the solution. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the one who is able to overcome. I am your refuge. I am your ever-present help. I am your shelter in the storm. I'm your way maker. I'm your provider. And so often God is the the missing portion of the equation in our minds. And we have to constantly keep God at the forefront. It's very tempting. It's very tempting to go through life leaning on our own understanding. It's very tempting to do that. It's very tempting to lean on, on our own vision. That's why the scripture says we walk by faith 
and not by sight. Because when you're walking by sight, you start seeing giants. When you're walking by sight, you start seeing walls that seem impossible. They, they looked at the walls of Jericho and they thought, these walls will, will never be able to fight our way through those walls. Let me take you to the next slide where they talk about this a little bit. Numbers chapter 13. Next slide. The obstacles are too overwhelming. They're talking about the walls of Jericho and, of course, the walls of many other cities. And we don't have the right equipment to prevail. We don't have weapons that are as powerful as their weapons. We don't have battering rams. We don't have the ability to to break down walls like this. this is the kind of thing that they were because they were walking by sight. They, these, these giants are huge. We're tiny. We're not going to be able to fight men of this stature. This was an age where in Bible days, if someone had metal of any kind, this was even before many of the metals were even invented or, or, or discovered. If you had any kind of metal that you could form into a sword or a, a weapon, then, then you were very fortunate indeed. It wasn't common. Many people were fighting with sharpened sticks. In fact, when the Israelites went into battle in the early days, oftentimes they were fighting with just sharpened sticks. And uh, sometimes they'd even just have a shovel or, or a hammer or something that they'd used for working. Uh, they didn't have weapons like some of these warring people did. The Philistines were a warring people. They had, they had been uh, developing weapons for decades, and they were prepared for battle. And the Israelites see these nations that were acquainted with war, and they come in, and they're looking at their wooden staves, and, and they're looking at what they have in these walls. And the problem is they forgot, once again, that if they could just shout unto God with a voice of triumph, God can make the walls come down. If you just be obedient to God and walk when he says walk and shout when he says shout and blow a trumpet when he says blow a trumpet, it really is that simple with God. If you're just obedient, he can overcome the obstacle. He can do the impossible. And so the challenge for us today in our own lives is to look through the lens of faith, to look at the situation the way God wants us to look at the situation. And, you know, this is important, I think, for us to remember. Sometimes we, and, you know, we preach it, and so it gets in our minds this way. We want God to do things the way he did things in the past. And so, you know, I've preached it many hundreds of times, and you've heard it preached, and you've prayed these prayers. Uh, Lord... Do it like you did for David. Do it like you did for Joshua. Do it like you did for them. But when, when the Israelites finally started marching around the walls of Jericho, did you know before that time there had never been a miracle quite like that miracle? No one, there was no Bible that they could look back and say, boy, I wish there could be walls come down like they they did for them in the past. And so sometimes we come up to a, an obstacle and we don't have a specific Bible story that compares to what we're facing. Everybody okay? You might, you might be diagnosed with a disease that nobody had ever heard of in the Bible days. 
You might face a situation that no one in Scripture had ever even imagined having to face. And so you can look at that situation and say, I don't even know. I don't have any, I don't have any point of reference. It's like when the Israelites first stood in front of the Red Sea. There, there was no history of God parting the, the, the sea and letting people walk across on dry land. Here's what I'm trying to say to you. God can create new miracles for your new circumstance. God can do a new thing. God can do something for you that he has never done for anyone else before. I wish somebody would get a hold of this. I know, I know you've never heard of that happening before, but that doesn't matter. God can do exactly what needs done, exactly when you need it done. You don't even have to have a story to hold on to. Just know that God is able to do exceedingly above all that you could ask or even imagine. What does that mean? That literally means that you can't even in your wildest imagination ever conjure up all of the things that God could do on your behalf. I wish somebody would understand this. This is a powerful point. There is nothing God isn't able to do. And so you just step out by faith and say, Lord, I know the obstacles are big. I know the walls are high. I know I don't have the equipment I need. We don't have enough money in this church. We don't have a big enough program. But God, you can make a way where there seems to be no way. You can do exactly what we need. Hallelujah. You know, I see churches do this all the time. You know, we look, you know, listen, the churches, let me just say it this way. The government takes our money and has billions of dollars and they still can't do it right. Everybody all right? I mean, listen, the IRS will take your money. They will. And if you get behind, I promise you, they'll come right into your bank account and... Some of y'all get mad that you have to pay tithe. What you ought to be mad at is the fact that the government can take everything you got if they want to. And they still won't do it right. You're, you're still going to have trouble everywhere you go. Anytime you get involved in the government thing, you know, some of y'all know what I'm talking about. It is hard. It's hard. And so as Christians, sometimes we look at, at our bank accounts. And we look at the church accounts. And we think we're not as rich as that is that false church across the street. And we're not as rich as that, that program over there. And if we just had more money, we could really make a change in the kingdom of God. There is no scripture for Jesus being wealthy or for the disciples ever being wealthy. In fact, they had times where they were so broke, Jesus told them, you need to go fishing and you're going to catch a fish. And when you catch the fish, there's going to be some money in his mouth. That's how desperate they were following Jesus. When it comes to the things of God, it will never be about how much money this church has in the bank or how much money you have in the bank because the government can't get it right with all of our money all god needs is people who have a little bit of faith and say lord we just want to change the world and we may not have much money and we may not know where it's going to come from and we may not know how we're going to get it all done but lord if you need to you can multiply the fish and you can multiply the bread and you can literally provide every need every time we need it god 
I, I'm not going to feel insecure because I don't have as much money as the, as the rich preacher who's lying to people on television. That doesn't make me feel insecure. You know what it makes me feel like? It makes me feel like God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I could ask or think. It makes me understand that sometimes I'm going to have to be like Elijah and say, Lord, uh, the brook's dried up. I'm going to have to go to Zarephath. And God says, get thee to Zarephath. And I've got something there prepared for you. That's what it means to Walk by faith. See, we think walking by faith means that God's going to line up every little duck right in a row. We're going to have it all. He's going to tell us where the money's going to come from. He's going to tell. Sometimes, some of y'all aren't going to like this. Sometimes, and I have to qualify this because there's a difference between walking by faith and being stupid. Is that too plain for you? There's a difference between walking by faith and being irresponsible. However, sometimes walking by faith looks irresponsible. Yes, it does. Because I don't have many instances in Scripture where God said, here's where the money's going to come from. Here's exactly how you're going to get the victory. Here's exactly what's going to happen after you do what I told you to do. And God never said, if you shout with a voice of triumph, the walls are going to come down. He just said, shout with a voice of triumph. He didn't even tell them the promise of what's going to happen. God, God didn't tell them what was going to happen when they, when, they, when they stepped out by faith. They just had to do it. And so sometimes faith looks a little bit crazy and you have to be willing to say overcome the lies inside of you and all of the insecurities and say, Lord, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I just believe that we're able to take the land. If you said we can take it, we can take it. I wish that Caleb would go ahead and wave your hand and say we're able to do what God told us we can do. Now, if God didn't tell you to do it, that's a different story. But if God told you you can do it, you can do it. Next slide. Here's another lie they told themselves from verse 28. The obstacles are too overwhelming. And we don't have the right equipment. We just read that one. Next one. Verse 29. We're outnumbered. Everyone said outnumbered. And surrounded on every side by enemies. Everyone said enemies. By enemies. You know, and I'm almost done. I know you think I'm going to go all night. We, we do have these, as apostolics, this insecurity if we're not careful. We, we look at our churches because we, we've bought the lie. Many of, I don't mean everyone, but many of us have bought the lie that large numbers of people are somehow the measuring stick of success. Now, I want every pew in this church filled but not because I want to be able to say we have a big church, but because every person represents a soul and I want everyone to be saved. I, I think that there's coming a day in the next few years where we're probably going to have to knock some walls out and make some adjustments for Sunday mornings. And uh, that's good. That's, that's the future. And, and I think that's, that's exciting but it's never been about numbers with God for the sake of numbers. In fact, when, when, when you look at Scripture, God chose a people. He chose Abraham, who became a nation. But even today, Israel 
is an incredibly tiny nation. The Jewish people in Scripture were very small. When they went, in, when they went into to Canaan, for example, there were far more enemies than there were Jews. There were far more people who wanted them dead. In other words, they didn't just come in and overwhelm people with their numbers. And it's still true today with with God's church. It's never been about us being able to overwhelm the world with our large buildings and our large churches and our large bank accounts. It's really always been about who is going to be obedient to God. Who's going to be obedient? Sometimes in scripture, it was just one person, one person that was able to turn the tide, one individual who was able to stand up and say, I'm going to do what God called me to do. And so we look around as apostolics, if we're not careful, and we we can feel outnumbered. It always reminds me of of the story of Elijah's servant when he looked out and he saw uh, Elijah's house surrounded by, by enemies. And he called Elijah out and he said, we're, we're surrounded. And, and Elijah said, uh, no, we're, we're not. We're okay. And the servant said, you're crazy. And, but Elijah was seeing through the eyes of faith. Elijah saw that around those enemies was an angelic host, a mighty warring host of angels who was going to fight on their behalf. And so sometimes we look up and we, in the, in the eyes of the flesh, we see all of these people who are coming against the church. And it can really, if you focus on it, it becomes incredibly overwhelming. That's the wrong thing to do. What you need to do is just close your eyes again and open them up and let the Lord help you in the spirit to see what he is doing behind the scenes. Because every time you feel surrounded by an enemy, you need to know that God has a host of angels that is fighting on your behalf behind the scene. There are things happening in the spirit realm that you cannot see with your physical eyes. And you will be paralyzed with fear if you're constantly walking in the flesh. But when you begin to walk in faith, you will know God is working behind the scenes for me everywhere. I wish some of you could see what happens every time you pray. Some of y'all would pray more if you knew what happened in the spirit realm while you were praying. There are battles that are fought by angels and demons in the spirit realm when people begin to pray there are things that happen that you don't even comprehend that's why if you knew you'd be praying you'd be shouting you wouldn't even be able to come to church without shouting unto God with a voice of triumph because you don't recognize by faith what's happening in the spirit realm but hell trembles when the church starts shouting hell trembles when the church starts praying hell trembles when we sing hell trembles when we dance hell trembles when we clap hell trembles when we run the aisles hell trembles every time we unify together by faith hell hates it when you speak words of faith when you feel afraid when you begin i'm not talking about being silly but you should you should speak words of faith and believe that god is able to do the impossible everyone said amen next slide and i'm closing i'm closing with this one from numbers 13 30 and 31 And here's the real, this is the gravest danger, and this is the gravest lie that you can believe inside of yourself. And sometimes it's not articulated out loud, but it's in our minds. This is what the ten spies did. They said, the voice of faith, being Caleb and Joshua, 
is not reasonable. Everyone said reasonable. And must be suppressed, silenced, stopped, minimized. So when you are full of fear, when you're full of doubt, when you're unbelieving, and you've bought into lies about yourself and others and the kingdom of God, it will actually cause you to be frustrated with people and preachers and even fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord who are speaking words of faith. Have you ever been afraid? I'm, I'm going to end with this, but have you ever been really afraid? I remember when I was very young, the, one of the very first roller coasters that I ever rode. Anybody, have you ever ridden a roller coaster before? The, one of the very first roller coaster, Six Flags Over Great America in the Chicagoland area. And, uh, and I was with my dad, and we were with the youth group. And I don't remember how old I was, but I was pretty young, probably Talmadge's age, maybe eight or nine, something like that. And, and uh, he took me on this roller coaster, and I was afraid. I was a really fearful child. And, uh, and we got on the roller coaster, and I was, I was so nervous. And, uh, and if you don't know this about your pastor, you should know that if you're afraid in, in a, like on a roller coaster or something, he loves to do everything he can to make you more afraid. He really enjoys that. And, uh, and I was really afraid, and he had been kind of teasing me, like, oh, what if this falls off the tracks? You know, I'm like, wah! You know, and he, he loves to say things like, well, you know, the... Last year, this roller coaster fell down while it was moving, you know. And, you know, when you're nine, that's pretty scary. And so I, I, got, I got really afraid. And then he realized that I was probably a little too afraid. And, uh, and I love, mom used to quote that scripture to him, provoke not your children to wrath, honey. He realized that maybe he'd taken me a little too far in the fear category. And so by then... I was unreasonably afraid. Anybody ever been unreasonably afraid? You know, there's, there's a level of fear that might just be normal. And then there's a level of fear that's very unreasonable. I believed I was going to die without a doubt. That's unreasonable fear. And so he realized this because uh, I was crying. And, uh, and so he, he got serious and he stopped and, and he... He looked at me very seriously, and he said, uh, Ryan, everything's going to be okay. Nothing's going to happen. And in that moment, and, and we do this, this is a silly moment, but we do this in serious things. In that moment, I hated him for saying that. I was very frustrated because sometimes when you are unreasonably afraid Reasonable words make you angry. Everybody okay? For example, I'll give you another example. Everyone here knows how much I hate snakes, right? I hate snakes. And so one time there was a snake, and, and I was walking with someone who knows, actually his brother Joe Campitella, in his backyard at his, uh, his house in Florida. And I was walking, and they have lots of snakes there which is ungodly. And, uh, and Brother Joe, he, he knows what they look like. To me, a snake is a snake. I don't care what it is. It's a snake. It should die. And, 
but he knows which ones are poisonous and which ones are helpful if there's any such thing. That just seems crazy to me. But then, and so I saw this snake, and uh, we happened to have been shooting guns in the backyard. And so I had a gun, and I see this snake, and my first reaction immediately is I wanted to shoot this snake. And Brother Campatella puts his hand out and says, no, don't shoot the snake. He said, that is not a poisonous snake. And I said, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I need to kill this snake. Reasonable things, when you're very afraid, reasonable words frustrate you. You ever had someone try to calm you down when you're really upset about something and it just kind of makes you more upset? And this is, the, this is the place where you can get with spiritual things if you're not careful. Where a man of God, the voice of faith, is trying to cry out and tell you, everything's going to be okay. You're going to make it. Have faith in God. Trust God. And, you know, you just got the report that you have cancer. And it can almost be frustrating. I've, I've been in these situations where doctor gave me a bad report and the preacher says something into my life and says, trust God. God's going God's to give you the strength to come through this. And I think, well, my God, that's, I just want someone to feel sorry for me right now. I just want somebody to have a pity party with me right now. And sometimes when we're afraid, that's really what we want. It's just someone to be afraid with us. And God is saying, no, I'm going to speak faith into your life. I'm going to speak faith into your life. And how we respond to the word of faith is incredibly important. Stand with me. I'm done. How we respond is incredibly, incredibly important. Because these men responded in a way that was able to impress other people to have a lack of faith, and it destroyed a generation of people. Lives can be destroyed. Our children, a church can be destroyed. Or at the very least, they can be harmed so deeply that it takes generations for it to be overcome and go where it needs to be. All of that depends on how we respond to the lies from within our own minds, from within our own camp. Will we respond with faith or will we respond with fear? This is the question I think we should ask ourselves going into a new year. And I promise I'm going to preach some Christmas things that's going to get a little lighter as we move forward towards the end of this month. But I do want you to put this in your heart and your mind as we move into 2020. We have to ask ourselves, there's gonna be, there's gonna be things, and I've been praying about this. There are going to be things that happen in this church that God calls us to do that are going to seem very scary. God's gonna tell us we're, we've gotta go over there and do that, and it's gonna scare us, and we're gonna think, I don't know if, if I'm up for that. And you have to answer the question now, Will I respond with fear or will I respond with faith? And the answer makes all the difference. Would you lift up your hands and ask the Lord to give you faith? Lord, I pray right now that the spirit of faith, that every lie, that every voice, Lord, sometimes it's coming from our own, from our own mind, our own past. Lord, sometimes lies from our childhood stay inside of us our whole lives. And I pray that we would not believe the enemy's report. I pray that we would not listen to the voices of unbelief and doubt. I pray, God, that we would have faith for the circumstances that seem impossible. I pray that we would have faith for the future, for the sake of our friends, our family, our children, our grandchildren, God. I hope, 
I pray that we would know that every decision we make doesn't just impact us, but it impacts everyone around us, the people that we hold dearest. And I pray that we would walk by faith and not by sight. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for worshiping the Lord tonight. Find two or three people and tell them, I'm so glad you made it to church on a cold Wednesday night. God bless you in Jesus' name.